welcome to the first Intuition Student Forum podcast. On this episode, Dave chats to Rachel Harris from Accountant She. They talk about making a success of your first job role and adapting into a world of work. How to approach it, have the right mindset and really succeed in your early career. They recorded the session in front of a live Zoom audience and if you'd like to join a future show, you can register for them. We've put a link in our show notes. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the First Intuition Student Podcast. My name is David Malthouse, and for regular listeners who are expecting for me to hand over to Ben Bullman to do an introduction, Ben can't be with us today. Um, ben, last I heard, was stuck in London, and he said his priority was to get back to watch his daughter play netball this evening. So I'm hopeful that Ben is going to play netball. And for those of you that are from regular listeners, you'll know that Ben has from time to time recorded this podcast in car parks around Cambridgeshire whilst waiting for his daughters to play netball and in the summer waiting for his daughters to play cricket. So hopefully the netball goes well. But I am joined today by, by a guest. So I'm delighted to introduce Rachel Harris to the podcast. So good evening, Rachel. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. Excellent. And thanks so much for joining, joining the podcast today. What we normally do when we have a guest for the first time is um, I normally ask our guests to give a little introduction. And I always talk about it as someone's superhero origin story. So how you got to where you were, a little bit of a kind of a potted history of your background, which hopefully didn't involve being bitten by radioactive spiders. But we'll find out in a minute. So tell us, Rachel, who are you and how did you get here? Yeah, of course. Such a good question. Okay, so hi, everybody. My name is Rachel, and I am a disruptor within the accounting space. And so I am working really, really hard to disrupt what it means to be an accountant, who feels like they can be an accountant, what it feels like to have an accountant, and for me, what it means to be an employer of other accountants as well. And so I have lots of different hats. I run my very own rapidly scaling, one of the fastest scaling accountancy practices in the UK. So we've scaled from a one-man band on my dining room table uh, two and a half years ago to there's now 12 of us and we've got over 600 clients. Uh, I'm the founder of Accountant She, which is accountant underscore she, which is the safe place and very wholesome community that I really, really wish I'd had when I was training to be an accountant. And so I create lots of YouTube, TikTok and Instagram content, just spreading positivity, financial education. And again, the questions that I was Googling alone, um, I just create the content to answer those questions. I think for a lot of people, finance can feel quite cold and quite a scary place to enter into, especially if you're like me and you don't have a background of like privilege or very strong financial education. So my, my parents weren't like bankers or solicitors or other accountants. And so for me, it was a really big deal to even feel like I could say out loud that I wanted to be an accountant. Um, within Accountancy as well, I am so proud to have actually partnered exclusively with First Intuition to offer the first ever corporate funded bursary scheme within AAT. So uh, applications are actually open right now. Obviously, you guys are not my target audience because you're already studying with First Intuition, but you might have somebody in your life who is desperate to do what you do. They might be really inspired by what you do, but they might not have the finances supporting them to study. 
And so the accountancy bursary scheme is currently open for applications. So I am supporting somebody through AAT level two, level three and level four to become a fully qualified accountant. And that covers all of their training fees. They get one to one mentoring with me. They get access to the online course that I built to give them real world practice experience. And we also do lots of CV and interview prep as well. Um, as well as all of those things, I'm also a director and trustee of AAT, which you'll all be pretty familiar with here. Um, that was really, really important to me. I firmly believe, because it definitely was the case for me as a young adult, that you can only be what you can see. I started off as an apprentice. I was earning the apprenticeship minimum wage. I'm sure we'll come on to that later. I was earning the apprenticeship minimum wage and... I trained at a top 75 practice. So I was trained to a really, really high standard, but there were no females in positions of leadership. There was quite an even balance of male to female ratio, but actually the positions of leadership were exclusively taken by men. And so for me to have that role within AAT, just found it incredibly important and to just hold the door open for people that came after me because it wasn't there when I needed it. And so I'm trying to build it and then let everybody come in after me. And so, yeah, a huge part of my life day to day is taken up by running a practice of 600 clients and 12 members of staff. And then everything that I do around that from social media content, my role with AAT is all about just trying to make this industry better, more accessible, smash that stereotype that you have to be stale, pale and male to be an accountant, whether that's for small business owners who are actually too scared to reach out to an accountant and they really need it, or whether it's a young person who, like me, was told by a career advisor, you don't want to be an accountant because that's too boring. How was that, David? How did I do? It was lovely. Brilliant. Uh, I There's so many things there that I, I, I could base an entire episode on. So <laughs> I, I, I love hearing... Um, this I love hearing stories of founders building businesses and, and you know that, that that you know scaling it reminds me of when I, I set up first intuition here in Essex and um it, it was there were two of us it was Kelly and I and it, it, that was it we had no clients you know literally the first intuition office was the boot of my car where I had a load of folders that I'd printed out from the office in Cambridge and driven down here and I would set yeah. up in a meeting room and and you know that is it growing from us too to now we've got 30 people we we took a lot longer than you so we, we've been here 11 years to get to that stage so going from one to 12 is absolutely massive in terms yeah. of you know, how how tough that is um and you know all of those other things that are things that you know I really believe in and, and when you talked about um the stereotype of accountants it's something that when when we had our Ofsted visit which is just over a year ago at the beginning of an Ofsted visit, the I, I had to give a talk to the inspectors, and so there were there were four inspectors in the room, and there was one inspector that wasn't joining until later on in the week, and so I I, I kind of got up and did my talk, and one of the things that I said as as part of my opening talk to them was that what we're trying to do in our training centre is, is challenge that stereotype of what an accountant is, what an accountant yeah. looks like. Because that's what I believe that we do by giving opportunities to different people from different backgrounds and not your typical, you know, I've got a 2-1 degree from a top university, now I'm going to be an accountant. It's, you know, opening it up to, you know, anyone that, that wants to be an accountant and giving those opportunities. And the thing that made me feel on top of the world during that inspection was about day four or day three of the inspection the inspector that wasn't there for that opening talk was 
back in the centre and I was in, in a room and she came into that room and she sat down to talk to her other inspectors and she literally said word for word, I'm going to have to change what I think an accountant looks like because those people have really challenged the way that I think yeah. about, uh, about principles. I didn't think accountants looked like that. And it, it was, you know, she started to talk about her own unconscious bias that she had. And it was just a really nice moment to hear that. So I, I love that idea. And I think we see that through our student body, when we see the people that are studying AAT and ACCA and ICW. And, you know, and, you know, just one thing to pick up. It's not just first intuition students that can listen. Anyone can listen. So anyone that is listening that is, you know, thinking about being an accountant or it's maybe kind of gone through and is struggling a little bit kind of financially to be able to pursue their career I would urge them to reach out to you because you know it, it, getting that kind of support and for me it would be that mentorship that, yeah. that would be so valuable because I've had mentors in my life where and you know I've just been able to talk about how do I get to this point in my career or how did you do it? And hearing how other people do stuff is so important. There's something you did talk about that I, I before we get onto our topic, I want to, I just want to get into is that I, I I follow your or follow you. I'm connected to you on LinkedIn, and I see loads of your your LinkedIn content, and you kind of share on LinkedIn stuff that you do on other platforms as well. Mm -hmm. And so I see things like your TikTok videos and linked to YouTube videos. And tell me a little bit about kind of all of that stuff because you do that as well as running a practice, as well as doing all those other things. I don't understand how you have the time in the day to do all those things, but tell us a little bit about how people can follow you, find out about you and what you kind of do on those platforms. Yeah, of course. So um, I would absolutely love to see anybody who is listening or live watching today on social. So you can find me on TikTok, Instagram and YouTube at accountant underscore she. I recently did a poll on my Instagram stories and said, someone's just got in touch with me and they didn't actually realize that accountant she was a pun. Um, did anyone else not know that it was a pun? And 60% of my following had never actually heard me say accountant she out loud and didn't realize that it was a play on words, which is why I love doing podcasts because I get to say accountant she out loud and then I get to say accountant underscore she. Oh, Christina said in the chat, I follow you everywhere. Um, yeah, and so... Content creation is one of the best parts of my job. And it's just one of those other like amazing parts of life that when I imagined what being an accountant looked like, when I even imagined what owning a practice would look like, I didn't think like what I do would be a job. I didn't, if I had to write a job description for what I do, like firstly, it would be 17 pages long, but also it isn't a job that existed when I was younger. And so I'm such a huge advocate for just because something doesn't exist right now, it doesn't mean that that can't be your full-time job and that's how you make money. Um, and so content creation is a huge part of my life. So on on um, on YouTube, I'll start with YouTube. YouTube is long form content. I release two videos every single week that are between 15 and 20 minutes long. So uh, there's a vlog every single week. So I was vlogging today. I've just closed off that vlog. Um, and we had last week's vlog go live yesterday. And so I vlog my whole life, just running in and out of meetings, constantly out of breath, not knowing where I am and always needing a wee. Uh, and so I just vlog uh, my my daily life, my, my morning routine all the way through to um, how I have 
some sort form of work-life balance. And then within the other videos, they're much more talk to head videos. And so I answer all of the questions that I get. And so I'm creating content for business owners, which is also relevant for people who are training to be an accountant. So explaining things like payroll and dividends, how to pay yourself as a business owner, how to plan and save for tax, because when I was studying, there's a lot of practical elements that sometimes the core syllabus doesn't cover. And so the first content pillar is for business owners, but that's also relevant for accounting students. The second is specifically for accounting students. So that's things like how to land a job in accountancy with no experience, um, how to decide which chartered qualification to take once you've done AAT, how much money you can earn at different levels of AAT and what your job titles will be. And then also content. The third content pillar is content for people who own their own practices. So I do a lot of mentoring work and mentorship with other people who want to grow and scale an accountancy practice. And so creating content for them is amazing for me. Um, I've also built an online course, which is called Practice Makes Perfect for people who are looking to start and scale their own practices. It's just completely consumable on demand that they can do. And so that content creation feeds into my online course. And then on TikTok and Instagram, it's very, very much the same, just in shorter form slightly more hilarious content so tiktoks are normally very silly we get all of the team involved um we do lots of dancing in our lunch breaks um i try and again it's all about that behind the scenes content because for me even when i worked for a practice the behind the scenes like come to a board meeting with me what do you spend money on so every single week on tiktok i just go through our bank statement and i tell you what we spent money on that week as a practice because that's the sort of stuff that firstly is really interesting secondly going through other people's bank statements is the best bit about being an accountant because we're all a bit nosy and it's really good fun and thirdly that's how we break down barriers about what it means to be a business owner what it means to own your own practice and to inspire others because there's things that I mention in my TikToks that we spend money on, for example, that people then DM me and say like, oh my gosh, what is that? I didn't even know you could do that. Or yeah, loads of loads of great questions. And then I think what David's referring to is every single morning on my Instagram stories and on LinkedIn, I post my daily schedule. So basically from the minute I wake up at 5.30 in the morning until tonight, we won't end until probably about half seven. Um, I'm running on 14, 15 hour days as, as someone running a practice in my 20s and so really just trying to showcase what that looks like I have a quite high functioning personality type and so I have a high functioning personality type combined with running an incredibly rapidly scaling business that requires a lot of my time and attention and I'm somebody who has incredibly high standards so our benefits package for our employees you cannot beat it from paying 10% above the market rate for that role, not the apprenticeship minimum wage, to an employee assistance program, to monthly one-to-one -one mentoring with me, to our workations. So we go on holiday together as a team every year. We can't beat it. And so my job is to make sure that every single standard and every single service that we deliver, whether that's to our employees or to our clients, is being delivered at a really high standard. And so what that means in real life for me is scheduling nearly every second of my day to make sure that I am able to be everything to everybody that needs me and actually by doing that some people are literally like you are a psychopath like you've scheduled every single minute of your day whereas to me I think a lot of people that become or want to become an accountant we are control freaks we love knowing where things are and where they go and so as a business owner you can sometimes lose quite a lot of that control because you might think you know what your day looks like and then something happens and it changes and so for me 
as quite like an anxious, high functioning personality type, scheduling my day actually makes me feel more in control of a day that might normally run away from me. Also from a productivity perspective, it literally means that I know what I'm doing, when I'm doing, how I do it. So I'll constantly have a list of like quick tick tasks. So if I'm on a call or waiting for somebody to turn up to a meeting and they don't turn up, I've got a list of TikTok content to create, YouTube content to film, YouTube videos to script. And so it just means that as a business owner, my time is a bottleneck in the business. It is also really valuable. And so it just means that I'm maximizing my time. But I think my daily schedules is what piqued David's interest because he got a little mention in today's. Well, I did. I did, which was great. Um, the only thing that, because I I don't think I would ever do that. because uh, I, I don't mean scheduling my time. I, 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 I like to schedule my time because... I otherwise I will focus on the wrong thing. So I I, I need some kind of dis- mental discipline to say do this, do this, do this, and and I need to do that myself because no one else is going to do it for me. But when I look at your schedule, it looks crazy because I, I look at it and think, wow, that's that's fourteen hours worth of time, and I'm not sure there's a gap there where you can really eat. Um, one of the reasons, that, so um, my schedule would look similar. So you know, I, I'm I'm here tonight. I'm probably going to do a bit more work after we finish. I, I'm like you, I, I rise somewhere between five and five thirty. I normally go for a run first, but then I'll, I'll 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 crack on and do some work. I wouldn't ever share that with my team, just because I don't want that to be the expectation that I have of them. Because I recognise that I'm probably working harder than I would expect anyone else to, and I do it because it's my business, and I do it because I'm just driven to do it. Yeah. And do you ever are you ever concerned that one of your teams is going to look at that and say I need to put in 15 hour work I, I need to put in <laughs> yeah so I think that it, it, that's such a good point and it's something that actually it that's actually what held me back from sharing my schedules for a really really long time is there is huge firstly workplace toxic work culture is a huge deal for everybody no matter where they work but also on the internet toxic productivity is a whole separate thing and so I could be posting for those 14 hour days and like not be doing any of that stuff. And actually for a lot of people, it is that sort of like Instagram versus reality. And so I held off from doing it for a really long time. But then actually, I think for me, I had to weigh up. Firstly, I have a really, really close relationship with with our whole team. And I am the biggest promoter of like work-life balance in the world. I, as an individual, I'm just so lucky that for me, I've created a business that is actually not a business. It is fundamentally who I am. And so for me, like being on this podcast tonight, this isn't work. I I hope to everybody that's listening and watching, like this doesn't feel like work. And definitely for you guys shouldn't sound like this is me working. This is me. Like if you cut me open, this is what what would come out. And so for me, I live my life on the basis that you don't become poor by giving. And for me, I, I really did seriously have to weigh up will more people benefit from seeing what I'm doing and how I'm doing it than people who might take it negatively. And I think what's really important is my core content and and the place where a lot of my community is, is Instagram. Mm -hmm. I know Christina in the audience has said she follows me everywhere. I'll always post the daily schedules and I actually very often check in with people and say like, firstly, oh boy, this has not gone to plan. And secondly, actually talking about this isn't, sustainable and this isn't my long term like I would absolutely love a family one day I this is a sprint and not a marathon to me and so doing this has sort of a a time capacity on it and I, I I do try and do it in sprints and I really do look after myself outside of work as well and so I think as 
with all areas of life, I suppose taking something on its own can be a little bit dangerous and it, it could be taken the wrong way, but actually with the context that I create online, actually it's really wholesome. And I think so many people really benefit from knowing what it looks like to run a practice because actually a couple of people have said like, I thought I wanted to run a practice and then I saw your schedules and actually like, I don't think I could ever do it. And for me, even I I just create the content that I wish I could have seen. And for me, even little things like understanding, oh my gosh, like you have to clear your inbox before anybody else starts work. Otherwise you will never not clear your inbox and you'll never actually get any other work done. So from six to eight, every morning I go into something called monk mode not actually a monk, just in case anyone's listening. I'm not a monk, but I go into monk mode, which is just head down, deep focus work. And so every single morning I clear my inbox from the day before as a business owner. I mean, even, even, even as an employee, my inbox was always a bit of a hot mess, but like as a business owner, I need to be in control of my inbox. Like that inbox is the heartbeat of the business. So we've got like the administration of the business, the running of the business, but also my inbox is where like, I need to be on top of anything that's in there because that could be an employee with a problem that's holding something up. It could be a client with a problem that's holding something up. Like I have to do that. And so from six till eight, I do what a lot of people would do actually between nine and five, I clear that inbox. But then from that point, I close my emails down. I'd like, I don't look at my emails again for the rest of the day. I operate on the basis that nobody emails the fire brigade. Like if there is a problem, someone will probably contact me in a way that's not email if it's really urgent. And so when I do, you know, I receive like 150 emails a day. And so in those two hours, I clear them down, but then I have the headspace to then remove myself from my inbox and then focus on growing the business, scaling the business, taking on new work, hiring new staff, creating that content that a lot of people are like, how do you do these 17 things in one go? And for me, that's just really strict time management, but work life. I don't call it work life balance. For me, it's work life rhythm. I I think it's hard sometimes to say work-life balance. It's like a status that once you've achieved it, you're there. And for me, you could you could feel balanced one day and then the next day be like, oh, I've got 200 emails in my inbox now. And so for me, it's rhythm. It's, yeah. I have to schedule downtime. I have to have, like, I am a very heavily introverted person and being an introvert isn't about how awkward or social you are. It's about where you gain and lose Uh, energy as a person and so I am really introverted and so for me I actually outside of that schedule do very little Mm -hmm. so I do do 14 hour days but actually from the point I clock off um, I love Netflix I love true crime documentaries I love watching YouTube videos I'm not going from one thing to the next to the next and then having this like raring social life I'm also teetotal so I don't drink at all and I think for me that just gives me so much consistency and balance in my life that a lot of people actually don't have if if they do drink too sorry that was a very long answer no that's that's fine and I, i'm glad that you said that this might well go through to 7 30 because um, <laughs> our topic for the day at some point but uh, several things you said that really resonated with me i said that you know i i will work i, I feel the same about the work that i do um half the time it doesn't feel like a job yeah. you know it, it, it just feels like you know this is me getting on with my life and i think that's part when you feel the thing that you're born to do and you and you do it you're doing it yourself yeah. And you're not you don't have other people telling you you should do it in a different way that that's that's when you you know, it it, it doesn't become a job. It's just what you do. Um, I love the fact you talked about how um, business owners, when they start being business owners, you know, don't, you know, kind of 
understands simple things or mm. sees and and I and, and people you think people starting an accountancy practice might have an idea about finance I, I'm I'm an accountant and when I started my business it was then I truly understood what cash flow management was about yeah. I passed exams in that I'd done loads of exams in that I'd written really good answers according to the examiner but yeah. I never really felt the fear of thinking I've only got two months worth of overhead sitting in my bank account right now and if I don't get some fees in pretty quickly we're not going to make it to Christmas yeah. and, and it's it, it sounds crazy that you know people that are financially but it's, I, I love the idea about teaching people how to do that you're absolutely right about yeah, putting positive stuff out in the world and, yeah. and you know, no one got poor by giving you know Ben and I have always done this in our own time this has never been something that we've said oh actually this is part of my work so I'm going to do it Friday afternoon it's we do it in the evening because you know we enjoy doing it and as we said we'll keep doing it until no one listens and even then we'll probably carry on for a couple of months just in case someone decides to start yeah Um, Yeah. two things you said at the end I consider myself to be an introvert as well which always surprises people because I speak for a living in front of 30 40 people but mm. as I said to a friend of mine the other day I went to a comedy show in London and I was sitting there next to him and, I, and you know I was explaining how you know kind of I I love one-to-one conversations with people that 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 to me is really really natural and I really enjoy that I don't mind groups of up to about four I'm okay there when it gets to a group of 10 people I hate it I I, just, I have to get out of the room because I, I can't deal with it yeah. but put me on a stage in front of a thousand people I absolutely love it. So it's, it's kind of that middle ground is the bit that I find really, really challenging. And also, I, I don't drink either. So um, we've got loads of stuff. Teetotal club. Yeah. Um, but we have got a theme for this evening. So that, those people that, that have been anxiously waiting for this moment, um, then we, we are going to start. Anyone that's watching live, um, if you do need to head off, at the kind of predetermined time this is recorded so you can listen to the podcast but the theme that we're looking at today is about people or, or about joining a business and we're talking with Rachel about accountancy practices so joining a practice joining a, a, a finance-based role today looking at probably people taking their first steps into finance it could be first job or it could be a career change where you're moving into a job um, and I just really wanted to explore what are the skills, first of all, that people are looking for. And then, you know, as we kind of phase into starting that role as an employer, what kind of skills you know, are we looking for? And then I think afterwards, maybe our employers being fair by asking for those things. So as, as an employer and knowing other employers, Rachel, what is it that you're looking for when you're trying to recruit someone into into your practice? Yeah, for sure. So we have three criteria when we're hiring. And these are like deal breakers the first is they have to get it we are quite a disruptive practice we've scaled so rapidly we don't specialize in a type of client and so you could be working on the local village beekeeper on one set of accounts and then an influencer who won bake-off two years ago the next and so you have to get it is the first the second is you have to want it We are scaling so rapidly. We have an employee waiting list, which I would encourage anyone if you're listening today and you are looking for a job in finance or your next job in finance and you are commutable to Buckinghamshire, uh, I'd love to see your name pop up on our employee waiting list, which you can access just through the link in my bio on any platform. Um, You have to want it. And so for us, 
yeah, we are scaling so rapidly. You've got to hold on to your seat. And actually wanting to be there is really important. I have, and I'm sure people that are listening have worked in places where I've looked at colleagues and thought, do you even want to be here? Uh, so you have to get it, what we're about. You have to want to be there. Um, and then the final thing is competency. So you've got to get it, want it, and be able to do it. For me, as somebody who trained through apprenticeships and who didn't go to university and started my my accounting career at, at 17, our recruitment process is much less focused on real-world practice experience. Because I can teach you to be competent. I can teach you technical skills. I can't teach you to get it. I can't teach you to want it. I can't teach you to have the ability to make a business owner who is terrified of tax feel comfortable. I can't teach you how to take what you've learned at college and speak to people with compassion and kindness and in real English. So that's that's the bit that we can't teach. That's the bit that we really look for and I can teach you everything else. And so we've taken people, our first ever employee was in his thirties. He worked in Waitrose the week before he started with us. Um, he's our first ever employee. He's still with us now. He's now a portfolio manager and he's doing his chartered tax exams to become the head of our future tax team, which doesn't even exist yet. So age diversity has always been really, really important to us. I went on to do an MBA, so a master's in business after I qualified in my exams and there are huge statistics around diversity and age diversity doing fantastic things for workplaces. Uh, so age diversity has always been really important to us. And then career changes. So if you're listening to this and you don't currently work in finance or you have a background that's not a stereotypical finance background, oh my gosh, come and talk to me. So we have a fully qualified hairdresser who quit her job to become an accountant. We've got an ex EasyJet air hostess. We, you name it, we've got it. And I think for me, there are so many transferable skills in any job in the world and it is your ability to pick it out. And so if you're listening today or if you're on the webinar today and you don't have any practice experience, you don't have any finance experience, but you do have really strong customer service skills or maybe you worked in the co-op when you were doing your A-levels, there are so many transferable skills. And I would really encourage you to challenge yourself to take anything off your CV that's not relevant and put all of the relevant stuff on. So if you cashed up at the end of a day in a co-op, I want to know that. If you had to do inventory checks, I want to know that you did stock control and inventory management. Like take the buzzwords that you're learning at college, map them to skills that you already have and put that on your CV and take anything away that is not relevant. But customer service, do not doubt for a second how strong customer service is in accountancy right now. So You'll all know that AI, machine, le machine learning and data analytics is booming in finance right now. And lots of people are asking the question, will accountants have a job in 10 years time? The answer is yes, they will. But our job won't be data processing because machines can do that. It will be in customer service. It will be in advisory roles. It will be in executive consultancy and step in FD roles supporting small business owners. And so that focus on customer service, which in terms of the job market is an easier one to get than finance, utilize that at every touch point. So in terms of what I look for, it's very, very simple. Get it, want it, is capable of doing it. We've taken everybody from school leavers all the way through to people who've got degrees in unrelated subjects or are already ACCA qualified. And so we are very happy to take everybody. We're scaling so rapidly. We are recruiting one new member of staff nearly every single month at the moment. And so um, it's worth saying we have no plans of slowing down. Uh, we're gunning for the top 100. And I think for me, 
running an accountancy practice in my 20s, it was really important that I took all of the frustrations that I had as somebody that went through the hard way and just make it better and different for people that follow me. And so that benefits package that's completely untouchable that everybody really, really loves, I'm so proud of. I think it's one of my best career achievements to date is just building a package that people aren't coming into an interview with us thinking, oh, what's the salary or what's the package or can I afford to change jobs? They know that it's going to be a good salary. They know that they want the package. They've watched seven of their colleagues day in the life vlogs. So it's not just me that creates vlog content. All of our team do too. So they already know they want to work for us. And we already know that through the nature of them coming through channels of social media, being on the waiting list for a little while, they already get it. They already want it. And so that interview is literally just about capability and are you a great fit for our business? And so we just play a board game together. We ask them some fun tax questions or whatever the role is, um, just relevant uh, competency questions. So you play a board game with them? Yeah, so we play Exploding Kittens is a lovely card game. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we play Exploding Kittens. I'm a firm believer of, and we also get them to come in and play Exploding Kittens with the whole team, like not just not just us. And so um, I think for me, I have this. Firstly, I love love board games. Any opportunity to play a board game, I love. But also, I have this. Interviews are weird. Like they're weird. They're people who don't know each other speaking to people who don't know each other. One is very motivated to get a job. One is absolutely terrified that you might be the wrong candidate, but is really hopeful that you might be the right candidate. And so they're fueled with lots of things. And so taking people out of a weird situation and putting them into a normal situation does great things. You can play a board game, even if you don't know the rules, actually you'll be thinking more about the rules and how you're behaving. And so I, as an employer, get to see who you are, how you behave, how you communicate with people. Um, and so, yeah, we play Exploding Kittens. I'm also really competitive. I love. I, I feel like being a competitive person in accountancy is it, it's actually a very strong personality trait. I think a lot of people through the exams and all of those things, it's really fun watching really competitive people who don't know each other play board games together. And so from a people watching perspective, it's great. So we get them in, we play a card game together. Um, and we also actually get them to meet current members of our team and I leave the room and they have a conversation because for me as a young person, I never treated an interview like I was interviewing them. And so I get our potential members of staff to treat the interview as if they are interviewing me and I get them to speak to people who work in their department or are doing a similar qualification to them. I leave the room and they just get to have a chat for five or 10 minutes and really, oh, spill the tea. And they ask questions like, is she like, like is she like what she is on the internet in real life um and and so like just giving people the opportunity to just ask ask the burning questions that they might not feel comfortable asking me and again all of that is drawn from my experience as as a young person as well and so get it want it be competent was the first question I can't remember what your second question was I think that was just the one question wasn't it (laughs) I, I, this is, you've covered loads of stuff there. And one of the ones that I want to kind of just highlight is, I think when you were talking about competency, um, you said, put stuff on your CV that is relevant. Mm. And one thing that I always encourage people to do is if you're applying directly for a job, then look at the job spec. What's the job spec ex- want you to do? What skills? How do you demonstrate those skills? Yeah. And first thing, if you can't show one of them, so if it says, you know, a, a knowledge of double entry accounting would be preferable and you haven't got a knowledge of double entry accounting because you've never seen it in your life, don't say, I can't do it. I'd yeah. leave that bit out. But I, I always think, how can I show that I have that particular skill? Because no, no one's expecting a, a 
a, a trainee to come in and say, oh, I've got experience of managing clients in a financial services business. Yeah. Um, but what have you got? Have you got the ability to communicate with people in some way? And I, I always look for, th- for one of three things on, on a CV if I'm recruiting someone. I want someone, as you said, that's got retail experience. Yeah. If you've got retail experience, I know you can engage with people and talk to people. But I appreciate not everyone has, got, has been able to do that. You know, a lot of people really focus on their education when they're young and they don't you know, want to or, or, or they're, you know, they're encouraged to succeed in their exams and maybe not take that Saturday job. You know, and I, I, you know that, that might be a parental decision. So other things I look for are, have you played sport? Because if anyone's played sport and if you if you play, you know, my, my kids play hockey. Um, I used to play football a lot. And when you go onto any sports, any sports field, whatever sport it is. You never go onto that sporting arena showing that the other person's better than you even if you yeah. know that they're going to beat you you still go on with your head held up and you you put a, a kind of a veneer of confidence on and sometimes that's what you need when you speak to a client for the first time yeah. is you need to go out and say I'm really scared about this meeting because I've never done it before but I'm going to channel that feeling and then the other one is have you performed so if you performed you're, you, you've been in plays you've been in a band you've been in an orchestra if you've done any of those things you're again you're displaying those kind of that, that, that those kind of ability to to be able to put yourself in front of people and not show fear because yeah. you know if, if you're playing you know trumpet on stage you know, you, if you're you know not holding it together and you're feeling nervous you're not going to be able to play and I think those kind of people that have been through that experience have got that kind of ability to be able to say well actually you can put me in front of someone and I know how to conduct myself yeah um with you know with all of the skills that you tend to see in most job specs I guarantee you can map them somewhere and there's there's a, a, a lovely a lovely passage in um there's a chap called Ed Catmull who worked at Pixar I think still works at Pixar and he talks about artists and what what artists do and, and he said that if a normal person draws a picture of a lake they get a bit of blue paint and they do a big blue blob and they say, that's me painting a lake. But what an artist does is they look at the lake and they can see different colours. They say bits of blue and bits of brown and bits of yellow and bits of white. And they put all those colours together in, in like different bits all over. And it shows the light reflecting off the, uh, off the water and sun and shadow from trees. And they paint this amazing picture. And I just look at that and say, that's the most brilliant analytical skills that yeah. you've got there. If yeah. you're an artist and you can paint, and you can see patterns in the way that shadows fall, you can definitely see patterns in P&L accounts for the last three years. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, yeah. And, and I think if people really look at, this is what the job expects of me, how can I map it against things that I've done? Yeah. I'm sure that you can do it. And it just takes that thought, not what, do, what should I put on my CV? It's what does this job expect from me? And then how can I demonstrate that I do it? Yeah. Um, and then the other things you talked about, about, you know, do people get it and do people want it? I think that's a case of finding the right role for you and finding the right job. Yeah. And not just saying I'm going to apply to these 40 firms. Actually, no, I'm going to look at these 40 firms and I'm going to find the one or two that I think align most closely with me. And whether that is I want to work in a fast moving firm that's kind of got that kind of really modern, edgy, disruptive it, it, it yeah. kind of vision in front of it and that's what I buy into but 
you know, there are some people that might sit there and say, well, actually, I want to work for an established firm that does mm -hmm. it in a traditional manner. Yep. I want to go to work in a suit. I like the hierarchy. I like the fact they specialize in banking and insurance clients. And I align myself with that. And that's where I'm going to go. And I'm going to go with a laser focus at applying to that role. My CV is going to be tailored for that role. Yeah. And because that's the business that I want to work for. So I think it's also finding the role that you want. And, you know, uh, you know, obviously you're, you're going to find your tribe, but there's also, you know, the, the tribe of people that, that want those other roles. I think finding the right role and then being able to apply for it. So I, I loved all those things that we talked about. So I, I did have a list of questions, as, as you know, Rachel, that we went through earlier. And I think we've covered uh, about half of them in, in, in one there, which is really, really nice. But I think once we've got there, so you talked about, a little bit about your interview process. Mm. And I think something you said that I loved is that, um, you know, it's not just me interviewing them. It's, you know, an interview is every possible direction. Yeah. I, I always finish the interviews that I have with people that want to be tutors by saying that, you know, it, at any point in time, it's okay to say you don't want this. You know, and I'd rather get that then you feel nervous or unsure. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm happy. I'm almost happier with a, no, this is not for me, than someone going into it kind of like half being there and not really being over the line. So I, I love that talking about kind of, you know, it's an interview both ways and it's okay to reject someone. You know, I know it's tough, you know, when we've got to make ends meet and things like that and personal situations might mean things differently. Um, so you've got people on your waiting list at the moment that are waiting for roles. And, yeah so we sorry you go and, and at the moment there are going to be people out there that um are finishing their a levels finishing gcse's that may actually not necessarily be on a waiting list but they may be sitting there on a job offer today to start when they finish their exams in june july august yeah but is there anything that you would expect those people to do or you'd expect people on your waiting list or maybe people in your waiting list do that particularly impresses you yeah so I think as well just before we came live someone actually asked like if I have no experience what can I what can yeah. I do and so I have a lot of top tips because this is something that I was in that cycle of applying for finance jobs everybody wants experience but I don't have experience how do I get experience because no one will give me experience and just like literally pulling my hair out so when an employer not me but when an employer doesn't want somebody without experience you just have to psych them out right and think if they want somebody with experience and I don't have experience but I'm really keen I've got the will I've got the drive what do I need to do to cross the bridge and like why don't they want someone with no experience the reality is as a business owner I want somebody who can hit the ground running on day one and support clients and deliver the services at the standard I expect in 2023, for me as, as a practice owner in an accountancy practice, even if you don't have experience, I'm literally just now going to list off like five things that you can do that would almost bridge the gap of not having experience to the extent that I would still hire you. So we offer accountancy support for all accountancy packages. So zero QuickBooks, Sage, free agent, you name it, we'll take the client. You can complete your zero certification, one, QuickBooks certification, two, Sage certification three and free agent certification four, completely free online, and you become a zero or QuickBooks or Sage certified accountant. If you put that at the top of your CV before all of the stuff that tells me that you don't have experience, I'm there like, 
damn they might not have experience but they understand how zero works they understand how quickbooks works and they understand how sage works that's the second thing um and so those those are like very practical things that you can do that if you're trying to understand why somebody wouldn't want someone with no experience it's that they don't think that on day one you could do the job so zero and quickbooks and, and sage certifications are fantastic they're also great for you not just your potential employer to help build your confidence so that on day one you're not feeling completely out of your depth and so whenever we hire an employee we actually ask them to do those certifications before they start with us even if even if they haven't done them or even if they have experience but they haven't done the certification we do that my second tip is if you get through to the interview stage be really explicit at the end of the interview so, and again, you're just trying to imagine yourself in the interviewer's shoes. I've got two candidates who both present very, very similarly. I really like both of them. But before one of them leaves the room, they say to me, just to let you know, if you offered me the job, I'd absolutely love to take it. And then they leave. And the other one said, just shook my hand and said, thank you very much. It's been great to meet you. I have a 100% certainty that if I offer that person a job, they will accept it and I filled my role. Whereas this person could still turn me down, might haggle on salary or like might not be a set cert. And so that was my like, I always did that in interviews and I always got offered the job. Like being explicit in business and like as British people, I think we're all really bad at. And so being explicit and saying, if you offer me this job, I would love to take it. Just like David said, it's okay to say you don't want it or you don't, you know, um, it's okay to say all of those things. Um, but being explicit in the right way can make a huge difference. Again, putting yourself in the shoes of the employer. What are they thinking? What are they feeling? Because you might think like, oh my gosh, they're a business owner and they own their own practice. But actually like, I've got a job to fill. And every day that I don't fill that job, I'm either losing money or someone else is stressed or I'm paying for an Indeed advert that costs me loads of money. And so in reality, like you being explicit does great things. And then the final thing, if this is your first career job, so you you did your A-levels and, and you worked in the co-op while you're doing your A-levels or you worked in a pub or a bar or a nightclub. I, I did all of those jobs while I was at school. Uh, but this is your first career job where you're like, oh, it's a proper job. I'm probably gonna have to buy a new outfit for that. Yeah. If it's your first proper job, do not choose a job. Choose a boss. You can, your first boss will do things for your career that are beyond your wildest expectations. And the job that they present to you actually means nothing if it's a bad boss. And a less attractive job could change your whole life if that boss is going to take you and push you and believe in you more than family members might, more than your friends might. They'll give you the hunger. They'll give you the drive. They'll see all of that stuff in you that other people might not be able to. And so if this is your first job, or even if you're choosing a secondary job, like you're looking for progression, choose a boss. Do not choose a role. Don't choose a workplace. Don't choose any of that. I have 600 clients and a team of 12. I'm not on a day-to-day -day basis holding my team's hand and, and singing debits on the left, credits on the right. Like I'm not doing any of that stuff. What I'm doing is leading a team that they believe in. I believe in them. I do monthly personal development with them so that I understand where their career is going and how I need to grow this business to keep and retain this talent because we literally attract the best talent in the industry because of what we're doing. And so fundamentally choose a boss. 
rather than choosing a role, a workplace or a location. So I, I love that. I agree. Um, I, I think about I, I often think about the bosses that I have had and, um, you know, which of you know, which have had the biggest impact on my career. And I've had bosses that have had. I would say negative impacts on my career or have stalled my career. And yeah, it, it makes a huge, huge difference. I know that when I when I chose my my first accountancy job, I I, I had different offers on the table and I, I actually chose the offer with the lowest salary because I really got on with the person that interviewed me and also because the study package was brilliant. Yes. And, and it's like right, I'd rather that brilliant study package getting to, getting day release to go off and study rather than you know getting paid quite a substantial amount more but having to do a lot of it in my own time in a business yeah. I wasn't quite sure of so uh, I, again there are personal financial constraints that might mean that you have to you know, earn a certain amount of money but you know where possible I would always agree with you go go for the best boss because it will it turbocharges your career if you get it right yeah. and, and it can you know do the completely opposite if you don't have the right boss as well um, so it's, yeah, look at, and you, you reminded me of, a, of recruiting a tutor of mine who um, is for anyone that's been to Chelmsford and has been been taught by, by Becky. I'm going to embarrass Becky right now. Um, when Becky came for uh, an interview, we, we always get people to come in and actually present a, a lesson to us to see how they to see what 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 they would look like in front of class, and for them it gives them a chance to see would they enjoy it or not. And Becky had called us to say. I'd love to be a tutor. How do I go about doing it? And we were kind of, uh, we don't actually have a job, um, but, you know, let's see if you like it. Let's let's put you through the process to see if you enjoy it. And, you know, at the end of the interview, at the end of her doing that, I sat down and had a chat and I was talking, we, we chat for about an hour just about everything. And, um, you know, I, I said to her, you know, you know uh, that we haven't got a job at the moment. You know, we, we probably could, you know, use someone to do a little bit of teaching here or there, but we don't have a full-time role at the moment. And she just said to me, if you offered me a job that was one day a week, I would take it now. And I was kind of like, right, okay. Um, I could probably stretch to that. I, I, it's like, yeah. I could stretch to that. And, and I, I was kind of like, okay, well, I'm still going to have to get back to you tomorrow and, and you know, think about things. And it, it kind, of, kind of came away thinking, one, it's not fair to offer someone who's working a full-time job or one day a week job even though that would be best for the business. But this is someone that has just shown me they're brilliant at teaching yeah. and has just shown me how much she wants to do this, how much she wants it. And so, you know, the next day it was a phone call and we offered her a full-time job, even though I didn't have a full-time job for her. Fortunately, we grew quickly enough to be able to need that level of teaching and she's still with us today and she's amazing. But I think you're absolutely right. Just that, just those words of, you know, I'd love to work here. Yeah. Um, I always encourage people that you know it, to to follow up after an interview. I love the fact doing it on the day. I think that's a brave move. But I, I and I always encourage them to use words like "I would love to work here." Yeah. You know, it, I'm really excited about this because it does make a huge difference. If someone replies to me like that, then it's going to elevate them right up the ladder. You know, even if they didn't perform well in interview or don't necessarily have the skills that someone else has got, someone telling me I would love to work for you or I'm really excited about the yeah. business, or just saying that, you know, I, I came away and I couldn't stop thinking about, and just those, you know, really emotive words, it, it, it shows me that you've actually thought about it and you really, really want it. So yeah, I absolutely love that. Um, I, I realised at the moment that we, we're running really, really away with time. And um, 
I, I do want to make sure that everyone gets to eat and those people that are listening to this episode until the end of their run that aren't going to collapse from a heart attack because they've <laughs> suddenly been running. Whoever's in the bath, hours. whoever was listening in the bath, <laughs> they've shriveled. Exactly. I hope they've got a, a big hot water tank at least to keep refilling the water to keep themselves warm. But the, the last thing that I, I, I do want to just talk about, and this is something that someone mentioned to me today, is we've talked a lot about kind of advertising the skills that we've got to future employers. And we've talked a lot about what is it that employers are looking for, okay, in terms of what you're looking for as an employer. Um, I sometimes think that we very much miss out on, on talking the other way and saying to, saying to can people that are applying for roles, this is what we can offer you. And, you know, instead of saying that this is all the great experience that you can get, looking at skills that, that people have got that maybe we don't know about that are really, really useful. And I, I, I know in your firm, you're, you're conversant in all forms of kind of like modern digital technology. But there are lots of businesses out there where I've heard people being very critical and saying this person's not very good at sending an email or they're not very good at writing a letter. But they ignore the fact that they are amazing at talking to people via DMs on Instagram. And, you know, right now, I'll guarantee that within every firm, there's a high percentage of clients that would rather get direct messages through Instagram to give them updates rather than an email or a letter through the post. So I, I just want, do you think that you know, employers maybe need to start thinking about what they can offer rather than making demands on people? For sure. So <laughs> first piece about brain capacity, writing emails, all of those things, because that's a really, really interesting point. And we, I'd say for the first six to 12 months of running our practice, it felt like the insides was held together with like, sticky tape Mm -hmm. and people were like wow and I was like I know god don't look too closely um (laughs) and I feel like now we're at the point where there was a point where I I run the business with my husband James and we trained at a top 75 practice we are trained to a very very high technical standard but we knew that we had to do something to help us scale fast And actually, the best thing that you can do for a brand new member of staff or any member of staff is make sure that they are only spending brain capacity on things that require brain capacity to be spent. And so we have insane working papers that literally ask ask them the questions that they should be asking themselves. We have template emails for every single email that you would ever need to send a client. We have a template. So let's say you've drafted a, a VAT return. It literally says, like, have you attached it, attached the, the VAT return at the top? It, it has the entire email written out for you. You just have to attach your VAT return, insert your queries, which are the reason we do all of our technical training is to be able to review a VAT return and put together some queries. We don't do all of it to write emails. And so what that gives a member of staff is the freedom to focus on their technical skills and build a relationship with the client. So they can include things like, how was your holiday? If the last time they spoke to them, they were going on holiday but the body of the email is written. So that reduces any extra brain capacity. It reduces that feeling of overwhelm when you start in a new firm and you you actually know that you are being judged on your ability to write an email. But from my perspective, what it does is it ensures that my standards and my values and my tone of voice, which is also very important for me as a business owner. So we have certain emojis that we use within our emails. Again, in certain practices, if you put an emoji in an email, you might get fired. we put emojis in every email and that's what our clients expect. And so we've built 
a scaling system and work process within our team that means that I don't expect the members of staff to write emails. Also, it's dumb. I pay my accountants really good money. I don't want them writing emails. If they're spending 25 minutes writing an email to every single person they write about return for, like, it, that's really, really, like, not sensible for me. So, again, that really helps us to remove any, like, also, that's hugely discriminat- discriminatory to people who English is not their first language. Because they wouldn't write an email in the same way that I would write an email, or I might read it differently to how they wrote it. And so actually it removes any unconscious bias or am I judging this person based on the fact that English isn't their first language or they could be dyslexic. And so we're removing all of those parts of it. So that's just, sorry, I'm so sorry. That was a word vomit. But uh, we there's a huge part of us scaling the business in that way and also ensuring that our incredibly high standards in terms of communication and reporting is maintained. And then... Yeah, in terms of benefits packaging and offering people, again, for us, that's amazing because in order to submit an application on our waiting list to be to be an employee, we volunteer our benefits package. And so we have a completely transparent pay matrix. I, as a young person in finance, constantly had a carrot of a pay rise dangled in front of me through my studies. And if you pass AAT level two, you'll get this. But again, you've got to wait six months till your certificate comes through, not the day of your exam, all of that stuff. So we removed all of that. And so our team members get a pay rise every single time they pass an exam. If they're doing ACCA, it's £500 a pop. Every single exam from their starting salary salary all the way up to, they can see how their salary goes up to £60,000. So for us, like building that transparency into the process actually means that I'm not wasting my time interviewing people that I can't afford. They're joining the waiting list, knowing what their salary is going to be, understanding that that salary is a really key part of the wider benefits package which is also insane and includes going to Mallorca every year and like having a great time and having unlimited access to private medical, your gym membership paid for, someone that really cares about you, all of that stuff. And so for me as a business owner, I'm never interviewing someone I can't afford because it's all disclosed at the very beginning. And that package is really, really important for lots of people. And again, we've spoken a lot tonight about finding a job that meets your values. Like anyone who I would want to work for me would look at that benefits package and be like, bloody hell, that I want to work for you because I'm showing my core values in my benefits package. I'm saying that I care about your physical health. I care about your mental health. I care about your family. I care about your well-being. We offer a reduced working hour week. So we only operate at 35 hours. We're completely hybrid. We're flexi time. We work from anywhere. Loads of our employees go to the gym in their lunch break because we're having conversations about work-life rhythm. What's important? Do you understand at what time of day you work best? I love mornings. Other people hate them. You can look at our benefits list and understand that we have a really strong sense of culture and identity. And so that's another option as well as if, you, if you're on Indeed and you're looking at a job that literally just says a salary and you are very purpose and values driven, mm-hmm. red flag. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It's, uh, I, I think that as, as someone looking for a role, I think that it's very easy to say that um, you know, all these jobs are looking for experience or don't have experience and, and kind of get very morose about it. Whereas I, I think that if you are... First of all, identifying the kind of business you want to work for. Uh, uh, you're very clear on what your values are. You're very clear on the things that, that you believe in and the things that are important to you. And then finding the employers that marry up with your beliefs and then making sure that you tailor your application, whether it's a speculative application or whether it is actually a, a, a genuine vacancy that's there. 
and you are tailoring your CV. So you are saying these are the these are the skills that have been outlined to me that you, you that you need, and this is how I demonstrate them. Um, Even things and, like dress code, like for us, if someone turned up in a suit to interview at our office, it would be clear to me that they didn't understand our business. Mm-hmm. And that they hadn't done research. And actually, that's the most yeah. important thing is they hadn't done research. I, yeah. If if one of our current employees turned up to work in a suit, I would think that it was like April Fool's Day and that they were like either in fancy dress or it, it was a joke. And so even things like dress code, have you looked at them on social media? Have you seen what other people in this business are wearing? Whereas actually, if I turned up with don't let people spread sheet about you jumper to another practice actually that would be really inappropriate and I'd probably offend people and I wouldn't be allowed in and so they're both appropriate in the appropriate place and so doing your research on on like the atmosphere of that environment as well and are you going into it dressed appropriately is also really important Mm. well we are rapidly reaching the time where I think that we're going to have to say goodbye for this episode um First of all, I, I want to thank you enormously for sharing your time today because I know how busy your schedule is because I see it published um, every day. And I've absolutely loved talking with you this evening. I, I, I just love the, the the things that you talk about within your business. I love the way that you passionately talk about your business. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I can only see you growing from your, from your 12 members of staff upwards, um, hopefully over you know many many years not just kind of like another two or another three years um I I did want to mention something that I should have mentioned right back because you talked about how um that it's a large 60 percent of people I think you said didn't recognize that that your um, accountant she was was a pun so many people come to me and say oh I've only just got the first intuition thing um which again is it's I think it's a product of for for us for our, our founders being a bit too clever when we came up with the name and um, many people not realizing it. And then many people, when they read our name, just say it wrong. I've had so many people saying, oh, it's first institution. It's, yeah. it's no, there's, there's no S. So I, uh, I literally was on Sky, I was on Sky News on Monday and I got introduced as accountancy she. <laughs> yeah. Just 24 million people got, got, got my name wrong. <laughs> excellent so um for people that want to reach out to you um you are on linkedin you're on tiktok you're on instagram is there any other platform or oh, youtube of course any other <laughs> platforms that they can catch you on yeah no just instagram tiktok youtube and linkedin i would really really love to hear from you so if you had a question that we didn't get time to today because i've just been waffling with david uh me and David have literally become best friends and that's why this has gone over. So thank you guys so much for having a front row seat into watching our friendship blossom. Um, yeah, I would absolutely love to see you. So I'm at accountant underscore she everywhere you can find me. Please do send me a message, send me a DM. Let me know that you heard me here and you've got any any questions or if you just want to chat or some advice, I would really, really love to hear from you. Community is, is at the centre of everything that I do. Excellent. Thank you so much, Rachel. And thanks to everyone that has listened. Um, as always, um, please share this um, share the podcast with anyone that you think would get used from it. Um, if you have got any questions for Rachel or I, then feel free to contact me directly um, as well as Rachel. And if there's something that you've got, you really want to hear about and you think it will add value to other people, then um, I always want to hear about new episode ideas. So any topic that you want to talk about, um, anything within the realm of uh, studying, anything within the realm of careers, 
anything that you think would help other people studying accountancy, I'm more than happy to do. Um, and I put a big shout out on LinkedIn earlier this week for um, if anyone um, wants to join the show for, um, for, for an episode, if you've got a brilliant story you want to talk about or tips that you want to share, we're always looking for guests to join us as well. So until next week, thank you so much for listening and stay safe. Bye, guys.